Has anybody seen Tim Fritzen? Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but on Facebook, we had posted that Tim would be teaching on Psalm 100 today, and even on your bulletin, it says Tim will be teaching. Uh, I am not Tim Fritzen. If you're new to the church, uh, my name is Tim Adams. I'm the other Tim, uh, our associate pastor. Um, Tim has been uh, sick since about Tuesday night, um, really until yesterday afternoon. He really, from Tuesday to yesterday afternoon, he had been running a fever in the triple digits and just having uh, a really hard time getting over it. And so um, Friday evening, Tim came out of the dugout and called for the reliever, and here I am. Um, But uh, I would encourage you just to pray for uh, Tim, uh, that he gets his health restored and um, that he can be back up here soon. So uh, I did hear that he is feeling a little bit better, Um, not a lot, but a little uh, so be praying for him. Uh, so anyways, I've had uh, a little more than 24 hours to, to prepare for this. And um, the easiest thing for me to do is to speak on a passion of mine, and uh, that is small groups. And um, this was something that we were planning on doing this fall, maybe just a, a month a little bit earlier uh, than we had planned. But uh, we always take some time in the fall to discuss the importance of and, and our heart for small group ministry at the church. And so... Um, that's what we're going to do this morning, and um, you know, I just want to say as we get started, uh, on behalf of our entire pastoral team, uh, it really is our joy to to walk alongside you, um, to encourage you, to uh, lead you in uh, deepening and strengthening your faith, um, and helping you increase your joy uh, in your faith. Um, when we stand up here on the stage. Uh, it's never our heart to teach in a way that leaves you walking out here, out of here with heavy weight on your shoulders. Uh, we may at times have to talk about tough, challenging topics that we need to wrestle with and chew on, but our, our hope is never to come up here and just uh, weigh you down. Um, and so uh, it's our joy uh, from within us to, to walk alongside you and to encourage you to find your joy in the Lord, and obviously that joy comes from the good news of the gospel. Um, Paul talks about it like this. He says in Philippians 1.25, he calls it a joy of faith. He says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy of faith. Um, The way that we do that, the way that we pursue your joy here at LCF is by pointing you to the word of God, to the work of God, into the ways of God. Um, you know, we might direct you to the work of God in history or in present circumstances so that you comprehend greater the gospel, uh, that you comprehend greater the joy that's within you. Um, we direct you to the word of God because Jesus in John fifteen eleven says that these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And this is kind of what I want to talk about a little bit today. Uh, I want to land here that one of the ways of God is that leads us to a deeper joy is the act of self-giving. And I'm not talking about financially or monetarily. That that is a different type of giving. What I'm talking about is giving of yourself. 
um, from the joy that's within each of you. My goal, my prayer is that you walk away realizing uh, that because of the joy within you, you have something to give to LCF. You have something to give to particularly to small group ministry. Um, we're going to look at the life of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2. Uh, if you want to open up there in your Bibles, I want to take a second just to explain a little bit of how our church operates, how, how small groups operate within our church. Um, you know, I really want to encourage you to believe in and be a part of a small group ministry at LCF because it is at the very core of who we are. Um, if you call this church home, small group ministry at LCF is the main vehicle in which we disciple and in which we shepherd our body. Um, it's at the core of our church. I don't know if you know this or not, but 30 years ago, in Kim and Bev May's living room, there were six adults and four kids dreaming about what could be. And so small groups has always been a critical piece of who we are uh, as a church. It was, this church was born out of an idea of small group ministry. Um, you know, we certainly have a lot of great uh, ministries that part, you know, take place here at the church that um, aid and support all that we do. But our calling as pastors is to care for you, um, to walk alongside you so that you become mature, uh, devoted, and, and fruitful disciples of Jesus. Uh, you know, our mission statement says we seek to build devoted followers of Jesus. Uh, some of the ways that that takes place and the way that we do that is through teaching. Here every Sunday morning, you are going to hear a gospel-centered message from the Word of God. Uh, we offer lots of Christian studies classes, uh, a shameless plug, September 12th. We have a whole bunch of new classes coming. You're going to hear a lot more about that next week. But don't miss that Christian studies is a huge way that we help build devoted followers of Christ. Um, we do that through our small group discipleship, uh, by our efforts to call and train up small group leaders, um, and our efforts to encourage you to be spiritually connected to a small group in our church. And then the third is through household or family discipleship. Uh, if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that Kids Point is a tremendous children's ministry. True Seekers is a tremendous ministry of discipleship for our kids and our youth, our junior high and high school, our edge and the bridge are tremendous ministries that we invest in. We have this Christian studies group of classes called Deeply Rooted Family Ministries with the sole goal of walking alongside of you, encouraging you, helping give you whatever tools that we can and equipping you to disciple your family, life on life, discipleship within the family. Um, you know, small group ministry is technically overseen by me, but really it's overseen by our whole staff. Uh, our entire staff is connected to a small group, and therefore we hear a lot, and there's kind of a joint effort to care for and to invest in um, our leaders, because uh, that's the primary way that we can reach out into the church is by investing and equipping in our small group leaders in order that they can invest and equip in you. Um, Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. He says that Jesus gave pastors to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
And the saints here is y'all. The saints are you guys. Um, You see, it's an extension of a pastor's ministry to able to equip you and prepare you for the work of ministry so that you guys can reach farther into our church body. Um, There are about 600 people currently in small groups at our church. But every Sunday, give or take, there are somewhere between 1,000 and 1,100 people that walk through our doors. And small group ministry is a way that we can take that 1,000 to 1,100 people and condense it down to a group of 10 or 20 uh, so that you are practically known, that you are uh, cared for and loved and encouraged and equipped. Um, I always tell people in our engaged class that if you are new to our church and you are expecting um, me to uh, take care of all your needs, I'm going to disappoint you. Uh, I just there are so many people here. I can't do it for everyone. But one way that we do reach and want to care for people is by plugging you in, spiritually connecting you to a small group. Um, so I say again that this message is an encouragement for you to believe in and be a part of small group ministry at LCF. Uh, I'm probably approaching it a little differently than we normally do. Every fall, we kind of make an emphasis and a push to encourage people to get connected to a small group. Uh, a lot of times when we teach about that, we talk about the need, you know, that, that you're not supposed to live your life in isolation. You need people. You need community. We grow better together. Those types of things where we talk about our need. Well, this morning, I don't want to look at it from the point of needs, but I want to look at it from the point of calling to give. Um, you know, all the things about getting our needs met are true. Uh, they're not bad. But I just want to look at it from the, from the way that we are called to give. Um, giving, yourself, giving of yourself is a way of God. Giving of yourself can lead uh, not only you, but the others around you to deepen and strengthen your faith and therefore extend your joy. Um, we know from experience that, uh, or from the Bible, that the path of self-giving is the path of greatest joy. Um, you know, it's not free of risk. There are some scary things about that, about opening yourself up to others, but the path, we do know that that path is the, for greatest joy. I love the picture in, in Proverbs 4.23. Uh, 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for, it is, for everything you do flows from it. A lot of other translations say it is the wellspring of life. And I love that image of a spring or a wellspring. Um, we have to realize that we are a fountain. And when you look at a spring, when it flows freely, uh, it, it extends into a stream. It's extended to something greater. But if you plug up that fountain, you plug up that spring, it becomes stagnant and the water becomes foul, right? And so I love the image that if you let people become who they are, if you allow a spring to flow freely, it will stay clear, it will stay healthy, and it will be life-giving. Uh, those of us who are Christians, you are a fountain. The, mountain or the moment that you become a Christian, you become a giver by nature. A heart changed by God is one that becomes more and more selfless and more and more caring about others. Uh, a Christian... Self-giving is a part of our nature. It's a part of our essence. 
um, our identity, you know, our love of God, the joy within us overflows out of us to others to give away. Um, a small group full of people working, not only to guard their hearts, but to give away what they have is a group that can truly be shaped and molded for God's glory. Uh, so let's take a look at Paul uh, in First Thessalonians. If you've got a Bible, open up there, First Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, in this chapter, Paul is kind of giving a defense um, of himself. You know, there have been charges or accusations of flattery or covetousness or glory-seeking uh, about the character of Paul. And, and the way that he defends himself is simply reminding them what they already know about him, but how he gave himself to them. Uh, six times in this paragraph, in 12 verses, six times in 12 verses, Paul says, you know, you remember, you were my witness. And all of this is reminding them of what they experienced. So let's read it. First Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare you, to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with a word of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we, not, we might not be a burden to any of you. We proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So you see, his critics were trying to undo all of this. They were trying to attack him personally. Um, they weren't trying to contradict his doctrine, but they were trying to uh, attack the person of Paul. You know, they were accusing him of flattery and of greed and glory-seeking, and if they succeeded, Paul would have come to the church in Thessalonica in vain. So his aim was to remind them not of his doctrine, but of his deeds, specifically his open and sacrificial giving. Take a look at Paul um, in verse 8. He says, so being affectionately, that's a hard word to say, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Years ago, this verse had made a huge impact on my life. When you look at it, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy were literally, when they say they were pleased to share their own souls, their very lives, other translations say it, not just the message, but themselves. 
Not just the words, but their very lives. Not just the doctrines, but their very hearts. And this is what I mean when I encourage you to be a part of a small group. Not because of your need to get, but because of your need to give. The calling to give of yourselves is something we see from Paul. Paul models this for us, and and I want to walk through this paragraph. And I want you to watch what Paul does. Uh, Let yourself be amazed and inspired to walk this path of joy like Paul. It might be hard at times, but it's a joyful one. Be encouraged to become who you are in Christ. A fountain, a spring, a giver of yourself. So let's, let's take a look at six ways that Paul gave himself to the church in Thessalonica and compare that to how we can give ourselves to a small group here at LCF. First, that Paul took risk in sharing himself and the gospel in Thessalonica. If you look at verse 2, he says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul had adversaries from the start. He knew that sharing himself and the gospel was risky, but he did it. For you and I, in, in our time here at LCF and, and our ability to get involved in a small group, I want you to understand that you have a unique story, and God wants to use it. Sure, it's risky to share ourselves, to open ourselves up and be honest about what's going on in our life. But I pray that our small groups are a safe place for you to give of yourself, for you to truly be yourself. You have a unique story. You have a unique testimony. And what is unique about that is that I, I often hear from people, well, you know, I was a, grew up in a Christian home and, and I've been a Christian since I was a little kid. As long as I can remember, I don't really have a, a special story. Yes, you do. You know, because we often compare that to the person who's come out of the depths of sin and had had this radical life change, and we go, "Man, I, I'm, my story is not as good as that." It doesn't matter how big or how special your story is; you have a unique story, and God wants to use it. And here's why: God's created you to be a unique messenger to somebody that I can't connect with. Your story will connect with somebody that I won't be able to. That's the power of the gospel. That's the joy of our faith is we get to share that with other people and connect with people that, you know, I can stand up here and tell you my whole life story and it might resonate with some, but others are going to go, ah, it doesn't really connect. You know, you, if you grew up in a home that's had the favor of the Lord since you were a little infant, that is awesome. Praise God for that. Don't be ashamed of that and feel like I don't have a story to tell. You do. No, peop- no two people have the same story. God has created you uniquely. And when we open up to that, when we open it up to a group of people, uh, it not only builds others up, but it's going to build you up, and it's going to encourage relational equity with each other, and relationships, authentic relationships, will be built. The second thing that Paul does is that he does not mislead them or try to deceive them in any way. Verse 3 says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. He gave them truth and he kept himself pure in the midst of that. For us in small groups, authenticity and transparency allows doors to open for the gospel to move within community. Authenticity, transparency. I would, ask, I would also add vulnerability leads a group to deeper relationships, to better fellowship, and greater encouragement and support within a small group. 
your story plays into that plan. Your story plays into that plan. And better than all of that, when, when God's glory is proclaimed amongst a group of people, man, can you, can you just dream about what God would do with a group of people when they proclaim his name over anything else, no matter what your story is, that we come together and we celebrate together and we proclaim his glory in the midst of that. God can use that story for his glory, for his kingdom. The third thing that Paul does is he does not try to please man, but God. We see it in verse 4 and verse 6. Verse 4, he says, we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. He goes on in verse 6, he says, nor do we seek, from, seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Last week I was up here uh, and talked about the effects of fearing man more than we fear God. And in a small group, the way that that plays out is if we fear man more than we fear God in a small group, we end up not being real with each other. We aren't giving of ourselves fully. We're holding back. Or what we do is we kind of give a, a perspective or an angle uh, on something in hopes that we're, we're approved by the group versus really just being raw and honest and real. You never really get to know a group, and God never really gets to fully engage when we do that. Paul says, I'll have nothing to do with it, and I hope you won't either. Um, just relax. Relax in Jesus. Trust the Lord and be who you are. The scars, the wrinkles, the wounds, all of it. Just be who you are. Let God use you. In a small group, if a group is a commitment to glorifying the Lord, leads to a greater love of each other and a greater awe of God. Um, when a group is willing to fear God together and commit to glorifying him, it only leads them to a greater place of depth in the word, a greater place of trust in prayer uh, you know we we develop a dependence on each other in a good way uh, the regular intentionality in each other's lives on an everyday basis can make a huge impact uh, small group pastors all love Acts 2 42 you know that that's that is the quintessential uh, small groups passage in the Bible um, but I want to point you to one thing when a group is willing to commit to glorifying the Lord together Look at the result in Acts 2, 43. It says, and the awe came over upon every soul. You know, we know the passage where it says we, they lived together, they ate together, they broke bread, they worshiped together, they met each other's needs, and God inspired awe in their hearts. And he revealed more of himself, his love, his power, his glory, and he awakened a greater affection within them. But here is the result. It produced fertile ground. You know, the, the amazing piece of that passage in, in Acts 2 is that the Lord added to their numbers by the thousands daily. And our goal is not numbers. Our goal is fully devoted disciples at LCF. But can you imagine what that would be like for a group that's fully committed to the glory of the Lord to see what God would do with a group that is fertile ground for him to move? Disciples were drawn more and more to God through the ministry that they had to each other. And the joy in God was growing and spreading to the point that he was adding to their number daily. 
So if you're here this morning and you're a part of a small group, how are you guys doing in this regard? You know, is your group glorifying the Lord together? Do you feel like there's an awe of God upon your group? If not, let's talk. Let's press into that. Let's pay attention to that. If you're here and you're not a part of a small group, imagine being a part of a group that finds their joy in the Lord so much so that the fellowship is rooted in that that type of sacrificial fellowship and joy in one another. And imagine what God can do through a group like that. The fourth thing that we see from Paul is that Paul did not flatter or position himself for money. Verse 5, he says, For we, are nev- we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. You see, flattery is using language not for the sake of truth, but for the sake of manipulation. You want something. And in this case, Paul was being accused of buttering them up to cover up for his greed, of his desire for them to give him some money. They say he wanted their money and not their souls. That was, his, that was the critique and the criticism of him. And he looks at him and he says, you and God know that that is not true. <clears throat> Verse 9, he says, For remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. He was not after their money. He was after their souls for their good. He was there to give himself early and late. And that was the practical proof When you give of yourself, you don't flatter. You don't position yourself for anything. You don't expect to be served, but you give of yourself fully. You see, authentic relationships lead to joy-filled community. Flattery and commending someone for who they are in life, what they do or what they have, doesn't exist in a small group with authentic relationships. Those things don't matter. Christ-centered, authentic relationships celebrate what God is doing in their lives. The great things and the hard things. Our joy is found in Christ and Christ alone. I think about this in my own life. Um, Probably the most authentic relationships that I've ever had and experienced were my college roommates. And I know this isn't the, the case for everybody's college experience, but I lived with five guys that were five of the most incredible men that I've ever had a privilege of being a part of life with. Um, what I would say about these guys is they know me better than anyone. I think maybe Kelsey, my wife, could probably argue that she might know me better now, but um, they knew me, and they pushed me, and they challenged me. They laughed with me to the point that we lost our breath. They cried with me. They sharpened me all because the joy of the Lord was at the root of our relationship. And yeah, we've all moved all over the country now, and we don't see each other as often, but the relationship is still as strong as ever. We pray for each other, our marriages, our kids, our their salvations. Just a couple weeks ago, we got to celebrate one of them, two, two two of his kids decided to follow the Lord and got baptized. I love those guys my whole heart and what I learned from them was that authentic relationships do lead to a joy-filled community because we had ups and downs we fought we had hard times that where there were moments where we just wanted nothing to do with each other but that passed and God sharpened us in each and every one of those moments 
to the point that I know if I had to call them right now, they would be here in a heartbeat. I pray daily that our people that are in small groups at this church experience that type of authentic relationships that are available to them in the body of Christ. The fifth thing is that Paul opens his heart to them. He puts aside his position of leadership and he lets himself feel a motherly-like tender affection for the Thessalonians. You know, in verses 6 to 8, he says, We could have made demands as apostles, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become so dear to us. He exchanged a relationship of power and leadership for a relationship of affection. And that's a really vulnerable thing to do for any leader, for really for anyone. Uh, but this is, what I, what, this is what I mean when I say that we're called to give of ourselves. Not only the gospel, but our very lives. Humbly, lovingly pointing each other to Jesus requires our whole lives we want to point someone to Jesus, it requires all of us. I'll tell you about a guy who has given his whole life pointing kids to Jesus. Uh, this is Kirk Foote. Kirk is the guy who led me to the Lord. Um, I was a 16-year-old kid when I accepted Christ. I was as arrogant as they come. I had a head about as big as this room. Uh, I had a lot of success in athletics when I was a kid and um, thought it was a big deal. Uh, Kirk worked for our local Young Life chapter, and um, he, I think he was 30, 31 when we met, Um, and what he would do was, after a game, he would just hang out and just wait. Similar to this picture, he'd kind of wait outside the group and poke his head and say, hey man, good game. Uh, I didn't know who he was. I didn't care who he was. Uh, I was more interested in how many yards I threw through four, or how many tackles I had, or how many points I scored. Um, but I started to notice when, uh, something to know about the Adams family is we can shut down a place. We're always like the last people to leave somewhere. Um, but we, I would, I would be there literally an hour, sometimes more than an hour after a game on the field, talking with my family and my friends, and there would be Kurt standing outside the circle just wanting to say, good game, man. Um, and I finally got to know who he was, like, well, you know, what in the world? And fast forward a year and a half, um, I'm at a Young Life camp where I heard the gospel shared with me in a way that resonated, that I understood it. And Kurt was the guy that was right by my side processing all of that with me. Uh, later on in life, we got to work together when I was in college. And we actually, we laughed a lot about this um, but I thought, of, I always, I often remember and think about how much he gave up to pursue kids. You know, at the time he wasn't married, he is now, but at the time he wasn't married, so he was sacrificing his own personal life and dating and, and being available to other people because he was wherever kids were. Literally, three, four nights a week, he was at a football field, a gym, a baseball diamond, a track and field, wherever, wherever kids were, Kurt was. Incredible amounts of hours with kids. And 
oftentimes, incredible amount of time, being dissed by arrogant little high school kids. Uh, we, we laugh about it now. I mean, he tells me now that, like, he used to get really frustrated with me. <laughs> um, but for whatever reason, God never said, you're, you're, I, can, I will release you from him. He always felt like he was supposed to pursue me. And I can honestly think, and I'd say this with, with all sincere heart, I would not be where I am today without Kurt willing to give his whole life to pursuing kids. I, I wouldn't be here uh, without someone giving them their whole lives in order to see God do what he wants with that person. I don't think Kurt had any idea I would be a pastor someday. Uh, he just cared that I knew who Jesus was. Kurt was willing to give his whole life, even when it was inconvenient for him, and that's something I think we need to consider. Paul, uh, the sixth thing is Paul was holy, righteous, and blameless among them. And like a father figure, desired and encouraged them to leave them with a glorious legacy. Verse 10, you hear Paul say, You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Okay, don't, don't balk at this. Paul's not saying he was sinless. But what he is saying is, was, it was my honor to honor the Lord to treat you right, to care for you, to give of you, so that you had no legitimate reason to blame us for any of our behavior. He was above reproach. And what a beautiful thing, what a compelling thing for us to be real with each other, for us to live with integrity with one another. Verse 11, he goes on, he says, For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted you, one, one of you, and we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And the legacy was not a memory of himself, but a kingdom and the glory of God. Love and respect leads to grace. And grace, extending grace to one another, encourages us to have character change. I've learned a lot about character change in the last four years. Um, and how grace encourages that character change. I've got two little girls that are about to be two and four in the next month. Um, I love them more than anything in the world. But I can tell you one thing. Having children, a lot of you can relate to this, is a very clear picture of our human sin nature. You know, if you come over to the Adams house and you hear one of our girls scream, that's mine. I can promise you, Kelsey and I don't talk to each other that way. Okay, they didn't learn that from, from us. It's, it's hardwired into them. Original sin is hardwired into them. And when something's not going their way, aggression rises to the surface. And if you're around Cambry, when aggression rises to the surface, look out, because she's either going to hit you or going to hit something close by. Because she doesn't know how to experience, what to do with what she's experiencing. And so Kelsey and I kneel down, Love her, extend her grace, and teach her repeatedly, as many times as it takes, as many timeouts as it takes, to see grace change her character. And we wait and pray patiently on the Lord to capture their hearts. We pray that someday that they'll know the Lord, that they'll surrender their hearts to him. 
as a church when we say we want to build devoted followers of Jesus. Just as in parenting, we need an abundant amount of love and grace extended towards each other to build devoted followers of Christ because grace allows us to address character change and the work of the Holy Spirit through grace is what moves someone to make a change. You know, four, four basic ways that grace leads us into character change. First, grace encourages repentance. There's no change without repentance. And repentance is not a one-and-done type step at, at your salvation. It's an ongoing discipline for us to continue to repent of our sinful nature. Second is that grace encourages us to turn from idols. You know, the deep sin in our, characters, our, our character is always connected to idolatry. We treasure things, created things, and not our creator. Real character change requires us to be able to identify what those idols are. And the way that we destroy and dismantle those is through repentance and faith. And the grace experienced in a small group, I'm convinced, encourages us to constantly look at the idols in our life and to consistently turn from them through the grace in a small group. Fourth, or third, it, uh, experiencing grace leads us to greater worship. Treasuring Christ is obviously the antidote to, to turning from idols, but nothing destroys false worship like true worship. When we see the majesty, the glory, the greatness, and sufficiency of God, when we see that in the context of a small group, we're drawn out away from ourselves and we're drawn towards him which leads to greater worship. And the fourth thing is that grace pushes us to engage in spiritual disciplines. When you, when you experience authentic relationships and the unconditional love of a community in small group, it inspires us and pushes us to grow. And in small groups, you're going to engage in the word. You're going to study the word. You're going to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit in prayer. You're going to learn to reflect on what's going on in your heart. You're going to learn to be silent before the Lord. You're going to learn to meditate on his word, to memorize his scripture. So that's not an exhaustive list of all the spiritual disciplines, but those similar rhythms flow out of a small group. And when it's saturated in grace, individuals have the opportunity to change. I want to invite Joel up front to lead us in a song and close in worship. Um, in summary, when Paul says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but our very lives. This is what I think God is calling us to in our life together at LCF, especially in small groups. God's calling us to these relationships, not only because we need to get, we need to have our needs met, but because of the calling for us to give, to give ourselves fully and freely. Give away what you have. And trust me, if you're sitting here going, I don't know what I have to give, I want to be bold enough to say on the authority of God's word that if you're a Christian, that's not true. You have Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the word of God. You have spiritual gifts. You're a new creation in Christ. Like we said earlier, you're a fountain. Let it flow freely. Give what you have. It's not a matter of personality. This is a matter of faith and finding joy in our faith and giving away to others. Trust him and give yourself. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. God, I just ask 
that we would truly believe, Lord, that the joy that we find in our faith, the joy that you give us in the gospel and the good news.